you know, it's funny when you say that you start with the show and then we realize, oh, wait, we're, we're building a company. And we were really, I think, you know, reverse of that, right? We had some master plan about building a company, but then you have to realize like, oh, all these shows are families, you know, and all these shows are companies and these showrunners are our CEOs and we have to support them. And the biggest joy for me is to build these, these teams and building teams that we want to see in the world. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. Jamal. John, how are you, man? Um, hey, we have something in common that people probably don't realize. And I think, I know it was pretty um, formative for me is we both grew up in upstate New York, um, in upstate. snowy upstate New York. Um, the, the, real, the real upstate New York, not West real- yeah, the real upstate New York, which is like seven hours from the city. Um, I was in Syracuse. You were in Buffalo. Uh, I think upstate New York was a great place to grow up in. And I think it's probably kept me grounded. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good way to put it. I think good stock of people in upstate New York. And, you know, I was an only child, so a lot of TV, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super thankful that I'm here because it was snowy and, you know, it's the real America, as I like to say, right? I mean, I think it's a place where you get a real, uh, you know, you just get a real sense of what's really going on in the country. And yeah, I, I really value my time there and, and all my friends there that I still have. And then I went to college not too far away. Like, so I stayed kind of in upstate New York and um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a special place. But I found that out about you. I was excited, but I kind of... It kind of made sense, you know, so it was good. And then, and then wait, and then you had a, you know, a formative experience working not too far away from where you grew up. I feel like that's sort of when you like were, were doing some stuff in Rochester, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After I went to college, um, I ended up, ultimately, I, I was a kid who went to journalism school at University of Missouri and um, worked my way up in the television news business, which means you, you know, you go from market to market to market. And started in Green Bay, but ultimately was in Rochester, where I um, sort of transitioned out of news and documentaries into programming and station management. And that's when I was, you know, uh, we did PM Magazine, we did Bowling for Dollars, we did a talk show out of a local mall, uh, we covered <laughs> the PGA golf tournament, the LPGA golf tournament. I mean, we just did everything. And it was, we even on Saturday nights, we preempted Fantasy Island and Love Boat to air Rochester Philharmonic concerts and we got Merrill Lynch to fully fund them. So it was, it was a really exciting time to be in local television, but uh, so, yeah, so that was, that was definitely, um, it was sort of where I, you know, like you, I, I watched a lot of kid TV as a kid and I used to cut up the TV guide and reprogram the networks. And I even wrote to the TV guide and they would send me the weekly ratings. You know, that's how much of a nerd I was about television. 
And so finally to actually be a program director and get to, you know, run Oprah Winfrey at four or, or uh, people's court leading into the local news or different things like that was super exciting. That's awesome. That's so cool. It's so funny. You said that too, because Missouri, I didn't put this together. My father, he grew up in Kansas city, Kansas. And, uh, and for a year went to school in Jefferson city, Missouri, a school called Lincoln university, like historically black college. And then, um, and, and, you know, he's a big part of my experience, too, because he was a, a, a struggling theater actor. And he 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 uh, that's how we ended up in Buffalo. Actually, he was teaching at the University of Buffalo. So that's why we ended up there. And sort of like, you know, he that's when he had given up, honestly, given up on his dream and went to teach. Um, and then it sort of whipped around. And now, you know, he's, he's back acting again. But like, you know, it's just it's such a funny it's such a funny story. And uh and it's so cool that, that, that we share it that with this, the upstate uh, New York lineage, because all roads led in my mind to New York City. I don't know if you felt that pull, but I always felt a pull to New York City because it felt like, well, if, if I'm going to do anything, I got to get out of here. You know, I think about your formative shows in the real world and all that. But like those are big influence. I'm sure most people on this Zoom were like super influenced by that because that that was the biggest advertisement for New York City I think there ever could be. Yeah, certainly if you were a kid growing up in the 90s, uh, um, yeah, the whole idea of real world, you know, was we wanted to um, create a show that people would, you know, watch and get excited about like they do any entertainment show. So we sort of took that documentary form and stood it on its head by you know, not finding six kids just living in a rundown apartment in New York, what probably a lot of people face first going there. We put them into a fabulous art directed loft and we chose those seven people for their diversity. Um, and then we scored the thing to all the music off of MTV, which we yeah. got away with for the first five or six years before the record companies said, no, can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, no, and New York was a dream for me, too, because I think, you know, being in upstate New York, it was sort of like over the rainbow. It was that shiny thing. And I didn't know, you know, it's interesting because I didn't and you're the same with me. We didn't like come out here and work our way up as PAs. You know, we sort of proved ourselves somewhere else. Like you proved yourself um, after going to business school. You proved yourself at Pepsi in, you know, in really, um, in yeah. that branding thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I was the client of a lot of, you know, commercial, you know, like so many great directors, at least that we work with, you know, come out of that commercial directing chops. And we, I was the client on that stuff. And we did that. I did that for seven years in Westchester, New York, the, the other place people call uh, upstate. Uh, and I was selling soda and I was, you know, working on a lot of our youth brands, um, you know, like Mountain Dew and, and that, like uh, that afforded me to like do some cool stuff with like, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding. And that's where like a lot of the cool stuff was happening with skate videos. And, um, you know, just a lot of cool artists in that space. And yeah, I found myself doing something oddly really creative, uh, coming out of business school that most people would do coming out of, I, you know, it's not something I talk about that I have an MBA when I'm here in, in LA, because that's not, that's not the guy you want to meet, you know, uh, in your meeting when you pitch to him. Like, oh, here's the MBA you're pitching to. You're like, no. Uh, but yeah, no, it, but it's, it's been good um, because, like you said, I, I didn't come up, you know, off of a desk in the agency system. And um, but I really do respect that. And, you know, tons of the people that work for us come from that pedigree. But also I'm really excited about 
switchers and people coming from unconventional uh, backgrounds, which is, you know, frankly, how I got this job too, right? Someone took a chance on me. So I always, uh, I always like that because I think it brings new diversity and I don't know, just good conflict into the conversations, both creative and business-wise. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, and that's actually another thing we have in common is this idea of taking a leap, changing careers. Um, you know, after I was in Rochester and programming and station management, I went to New York and I was working at a television rep firm, helping local stations buy and schedule their programming. Um, and it was great because I was working with 40 stations around the country. It was like going to graduate school for television programming. Um, but ultimately, you know, when I would help a station and they would have success, it was really their success. And yeah. when it didn't work, it was definitely my failure. Um, so, <laughs> so, and, and it just felt like I was one, I was slightly removed from sort of that ex exhilaration of victory and that agony of defeat. And I think I really wanted to experience that. So I started creating shows and um, ended up sort of reselling them back to Hollywood and, you know, then had to come out here to make a pilot um, and sort of never went back. And you, you know, you were in that Pepsi-Cola job, which was a corporate job. Um, you know, it was a cool, Very corporate. it was cool. It was really cool. But, and I imagine you had a Pepsi machine at home with unlimited Pepsi and Mountain Dew, but, but it was a cool, I mean, it was solid, uh, regular paycheck benefits. Um, and you took the lead too. Yeah, no, it's so funny you said that. It was like literally everything my mom ever wanted from me it was like a job with a pension. I, I did take a leap in, you know, in my wildest dreams that I think I could be out here producing television and film. Like, I mean, in my wildest dreams, um, I was always a really, really consummate, like, consumer pop culture. I loved it. I love people. Um, like I said, my father's an actor, right? So I get it honest, you know, um, in terms of that. And I... And, you know, and I, and I grew up like sleeping in green rooms, right? Like with my dad, like performing in like regional theaters, right? And studio arena theater in Buffalo and things like that. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it, you know, it, it's some kind of weird full circle thing, but, um, but I always, I, you know, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, how, what do you tell, is there advice that you give folks for career switchers? I know I get that question a lot and it's kind of one of those things where I just, you know, I always say, look to the people to the side of you, because uh, I always feel like and that's probably a little bit of like, you know, why why the agency is good training ground, because all those assistants like they know each other and they party with each other and they socialize. And then, you know, that, that those end up being the people that you like you know, get the job from. It's not really always the mentor mentee relationship or this, you know, but a lot of times it's the people that you, that are like, you're just in the trenches with you, you know, um, how, how do you advise people when people are considering like that career switch? Or, I know you must get this question all the time, just because of your success, you know, going from the rep firm to, you know, as a producer. Yeah. I mean, and I was, um, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm all about taking leaps, but I like to do it. Um, so that I don't get killed. <laughs> and so for me, my, my lifeline was Mary Ellis Bunham, my late partner, because she was already out in Hollywood. She had been the executive producer of Santa Barbara and other soaps. 
She was just coming off of a, of a deal with a company called New World Television. In fact, they said we could use their offices for the first year of our production company. Um, and so Mary Ellis sort of knew the players. I, you know, so I was able to take that energy, that knowledge from news and documentaries and, you know, and then meld it with her knowledge of soaps. But for me, um, it, 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 the, the leap had a safety line in that I was attaching myself to someone who sort of knew their way around. Um, yet wasn't such a part of the system that we couldn't sort of come up with new ideas and and be creative. Um, but yeah, switching um, careers can be challenging. I always wonder with, you know, people, there have been people who start in reality and move into scripted. And I think that can be a Leah Waith. I mean, we used to log on real world. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and listening to those conversations and seeing the way the real people talk and the way they walk into a room, I actually can't think can be great training for someone who ultimately goes into script script. But sometimes there's a pay cut if you change if you're starting to wait, work your way up and you're you're like a, a, a coordinating producer or an associate producer. And now you want to switch. Sometimes you have to take a pay cut to switch. So it's challenging. I, I try to encourage at least people when I first meet them to really figure out where do they want to be, what do they want to be doing and, and be strategic about when you're going to make that, that switch. Yeah, no, that's good advice. I had a pretty big lifeline in that I was, I was working with a crazy amount of talent, you know, but there was really nothing there, right? It was production company, talent led production company. We've all got that call, right. Or that, you know, in inquiry. I always told my wife, you know, my, we had, um, I have three kids at the time. We just had one. And I said, you know, hey, if this is bad, I can go back to Pepsi with my tail between my legs. And it's a good story, you know, and uh, luck, luck, luckily I haven't gone, had to go back. But um, what do you, I guess, I guess we can switch to, 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 to the, your mission or your, sure. you know, I, I'm curious how your mission has changed as you've seen the business change. I mean, you talked about, you know, Mary Ellis doing the soap and then coming to reality and you guys really started this genre. And now you see it kind of going back and it's scripted, but now it's doc. Like, has your mission and what you do, has that changed at all? Or, or company mission is such a generic term, but like, you know, what's your North Star when you're thinking about story? You know, I think when Mary Ellis and I first got together, um, I don't think people thought about mission statements. Uh, I think we just, um, you know, stumbled around for maybe five years before we came up with Real World. And then really essentially our first show, Real World became our mission statement. You know, I think because that show was about- Sometimes uh, a, hit, a hit can do that, right? It can yeah, it can define you that first show. And, and that show really defined us because it was about putting seven diverse people together. It really um, sort of, we ended up sort of being seen as a company that um, was really good at creating shows for a younger demographic, like, you know, 12 to 34. Um, I don't think initially we were seen as a company necessarily that you were going to produce some, you know, big male skewing macho show. Um, so, yeah, and that can be to some extent, you know, when you get a real branding that can sometimes confine you a little too. But uh, so like a lot of people in I think you start out, you're making your show and then you find you have a company and then you have to start sort of figuring it out. Um, and I think that's what we did. Now today we actually, you know, I think part of our brand as a company is, is 
is the atmosphere we want to create within our company in terms of um, we've always seen ourselves as a place where people learn um, and where we share our knowledge with each other and where we, um, we win as a team, but we also reward you as an individual making contributions. So a lot of our mission has been about who are we as a company, the, the, the people that work there and how we treat each other. Um, uh, because we spend a lot of time with each other. And it's really important we create environments <laughs> where that's a good experience for everyone. For sure. We spend you know, too much time, right? Our families would say. You know, it's funny when you say that. You start with the show and then we realize, oh, wait, we're, we're building a company. And we were really, I think, you know, reverse of that, right? We, were, we had some master plan about building a company. But then you have to realize, like, oh, all these shows are families, you know, and all these shows are companies. And these showrunners are our CEOs and we have to support them. And as we build those teams, you know, that's really been, you know, the biggest joy for me is to like build these, these teams and building teams that we want to see in the world, you know, which is really kind of our, 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 you know, we're trying to empower greatness. You know, LeBron has this big model about striving for greatness. And so, you know, we were building this company and I was like, well, shit, you know, this dude's the best basketball player in the world. So we have to aspire to be, you know, the best production company in the world, you know, and what does that look like? And what does that look like for us? And, and we have to be a part of the change we want to see. Right. And so, you know, that's what we are, are trying to do with our, again, it's the second inning for our company. And, you know, even talking to you is a pretty amazing thing because for the people on the zoom, we haven't even had this lunch yet. This is like, we're having the lunch. We probably should, in normal times, we would have just had a lunch and talked like this. And so it's cool to do that uh, kind of blindly with you. But yeah, I mean, like we aspire to, to everything that you're doing uh, and have done. And I think we're trying to do it in the current state. And that was kind of like, that's my question to you, because I, I feel like you have to adapt as the industry adapts. Um, and so how you've navigated this thing and you've seen the, the ebbs and flows of it. I wonder how that changes your programming thoughts or does it does it change the taste or do you kind of rely on the team to to guide you and play Sherpa on, on what's next? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we have a development team. I think there are probably 10 people who are part of it. And um, they all each bring their own unique um, life experience to those conversations. We try to generate most of um, our shows internally. Um, it makes the deal making a lot easier. <laughs> For sure. uh, and, and, and again, that, that, that group of people are, are, uh, of all ages and all backgrounds. And I think that really helps us um, sort of stay current. Um, you know, we just sold a show, which I of course can't say what it is, but it was very much about one person on our development teams, her relationship with someone that I don't think we were being considered for this show, but it was with a big talent. But because of that relationship with someone on that person's team, we were able to get in the door. And then we had our chance at bat and we didn't blow it. Um, and that goes to the just incredibly hard work of everybody um, on the team. Um, I wanna ask you about, I mean, there's a lot of pressure when LeBron James <laughs> is your brand. Um, and there's also a sense of you have to prove yourselves because you know, uh, he was a great, you know, he is a great athlete, 
but you're, you're creating a production company uh, using sort of his brand. And my guess is the first several shows you do, you know, they have to live up to that. That's a lot of pressure because you, you, you know, a lot of, there have been other famous people, other athletes who have started production companies and they always haven't, you know, stood the test of time. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, like a tremendous amount of pressure and, and thought. And like the good news with LeBron is, you know, he's one of the good guys. <laughs> but the bad news is he's like one of the best ever. You know, early on, he was very involved, you know, in the pitching process. And then also, you know, maybe would provide some services. Now, you know, I think people understand that the brand is um, big enough to where he can help amplify things. He's not on camera all the time, you know? And so, you know, but to your point, it takes, you got to have some hits and things have to work out before, before you can do that. And a lot of other companies, I think that predated us, weren't able to get that escape velocity with a couple shows. And then it continues to think really rely on their principle to be involved. Um, and the good news with him too, is like the more he got socially active, the more material we got, the more opportunities we got. And it was more than an athlete, you know, like our motto. It was, it was, oh, like politics. And it really, really broadened the aperture that we could develop against. Um, and the so project. What, um, so with the, the wall, what makes the wall like what, like what in the wall is LeBron James or Spring Hill? What about that show is, is, is fits in with your brand? Like how did you guys sort of, steer it into what it needed to be yeah well i mean the genius behind that game is andrew glassman right so he had developed this game um but the element that we really loved was around real people right so you know it's you can't go on hollywood boulevard and get on the wall right you you really have to be a good samaritan you know and the the stories are real right and we really wanted real americans we talk about buffalo new york or upstate new york it's like we want the real people so they're not all like network pretty cast you know, um, and and they're and they're black and they're brown and they're real contestants and real people. And and I think that really resonated. I think, you know, we start I mean, that show is 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 is, is an older show, but at the time it's pre everything, you know, and it was just I think there was a desire to see that on air and a desire to, you know, it's more saccharine and more like you would never really get that thing going. It, it, you know, it's so um you know, nowadays, I don't know how, how that would work, but at the time it was really important. And then, and then LeBron was really focused on um, delivering a bunch of money and, and he delivered to the first contestant, you know, a million three, you know, in duffel bags to this family. And, you know, it's just seeing how it affects the family that the winners of course were from Akron, Ohio, uh, you know, which our pilot episode, that couple was from Akron. Um, and so that, you know, that show is really, I think a good example of a show that's not, you would not know the travel that show travels all around the world. You know, we're, you know, it's on the BBC and everywhere. Oh, that's what um, you want. That's what you want. That'll pay the bills. That'll keep the lights on for a while. Believe me, believe me, it does. Um, but the, but, but, uh, but that show is exactly what we want. We want shows that they don't necessarily scream uh, LeBron James. They scream spring Hill. And, and, and that's really the difference I think with the company we're trying to create is, something that's lasting that can live with or without, you know, the talent. And, and that's the bigger win, you know, if we can accomplish it. Right. And, and that you don't even know he's just another EP name on the credit line. Um, just like Jamal Henderson or John Murray, it, it shouldn't matter. Um, it should, it should really less rest on the laurels of the format 
of the show, you know, like pick this up because you love it. Pick this up because it rates, pick this up because it's important. Um, and that's, that's what we're striving for. Yeah. But eventually I think there is something like if I see Spielberg is coming out with a movie, I'm going to probably more than likely check it out. So yeah. I do think your company does, uh, you know, gain a reputation and might be yeah. you know, give you the benefit of the doubt because you haven't yeah. led them wrong yet. Yeah. No, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. That's what we aspire to be. I mean, you know, like, same with your brand, right? I mean, I think that that brand, you know, that, that, that and by the way, the, the show that you sold that will go unnamed, that's mythical. Um, I'm sure that that's, that your brand was a big part of that talent feeling comfortable. Back to story. Um, for me, I really learned to tell a story when I was in journalism school. And I had to like, you know, what's that lead sentence if it's a print piece? Or how am I going to put that one minute and 30 second piece together for the news? Um, I feel like that's where I learned how to tell a story. Where did you learn how to tell a story? That's good. I In advertising. So advertising, telling a story in 30 seconds, selling product is, you know, radio advertising, I would say, believe it or not, is kind of the most um, because that's when you're a junior, that's what they give you. You, you can't, you would never work on a TV. I mean, you would never get to go to set. I mean, that would be like, Oh my God. But the radio stuff was kind of what they would give us. And it's a script, it's tight. Um, and it's all about, you know, um, you know, getting it done. And, and then I guess, you know, like I said, my father's an actor, so there's some osmosis maybe, you know, that I've seen a lot of things, but, um, I would attribute it to advertising and being, you know, on the client side of advertising, but not, not at all in journalism school. I feel like that's, that, that's really, I mean, news, it feels like the tightest, fastest turn, you know, I mean, you know, that has to, I mean, you must have a million more stories that really make anything that happens in production, uh, feel like child's play. Yeah. That, that movie broadcast news. It's, it's very true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I also can type without looking at my uh, keyboard. Um, you know, I'd have to type a whole, you know, 10 o'clock news, basically. Um, the, the other thing I did, you know, it was interesting when I came out to LA and because of listening to Mary Ellis, the way she would talk about story because she came out of the scripted world. Yeah. So I took a, this guy, Robert McKeat, teaches this story structure course that a lot of people take. And mostly oh, wow. it's for scripted, for people in scripted uh, world. But I took it and I actually found it super helpful because it talked about like, what's the inciting incident of the story? So oh, wow. like when I put a reality show together, what's happening in that first act that's inciting the, you know, gonna make the story now, you know, burn. And, mm -hmm. and how is, how are the characters changed between when we start the story and when we end the story? Yeah, where so, we are. Yeah. yeah, it was really, for me, it was really helpful mixing that with the, the basics that I learned in storytelling and journalism, but then adding this layer of, you know, the guy who, you know, writes the great movie, what's he thinking about when he puts story together? So, you know, that we started playing with things as we told stories. Sometimes we'd start with, you know, the aftermath and then like go 24 hours earlier. How did we get here? You know, yeah. and so, I, you know, sometimes my biggest frustration with um, story teams is when they just give me a chronology of events 
And I said, you know, I'll say, well, chronology isn't necessarily a story. Um, and so you are very lucky because you have the blessing of both working in scripted and um, unscripted. So you're working on, you know, uh, the self-made story uh, about Madam C.J. Walker and all of how is that storytelling done versus, you know, shut up and dribble or some of the other things you do. Yeah, but you're, you're totally right. It's very similar. I mean, like nowadays, especially with, you know, and I'd love your perspective on this you know, the limited series docu-series, right, is very popular. And it's almost like a filmmaker genre now, you know, like he's got, and and it's totally dependent on the script and the editor. It's totally dependent on that. And, you know, um, with something like Shut Up and Dribble, we actually, we actually started that process by getting a magazine feature writer, a guy named Rember Brown, who's like one of my favorite culture writers. And I said, you know, just write these three, like write three, magazine articles about these top and and what that did and, and you know in partnership with Gotham who was our director on that like he was able to then build the boards off of that because that's really what those things are they're like long reads you know um we same thing we did with Muhammad Ali um for HBO like we I it's it's kind of now a little bit of a, a hip pocket skill to do that like I'll just get you know my favorite writer that I love and and see if and they're all interested in being in television already, you know? So it's like, Hey, you know, there's no, uh, there's no magazines anymore, but I'll pay you to write a, a feature. And, uh, and it, and it works really well. And, and, and to your point, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when it's, when it, and you, I think you champion, I mean, you really started this because I feel like your, your shows were not, you know, they were really, really beautiful in that you did see arcs. You did see, I mean, by the end of someone on, on, you know, on your shows, like you really did see that arc. And, and, uh, and, and I love what you're saying in, in playing with time. You know, some of the best pilots on the scripted side are really that way, right? There's these deep premise pilots where you're like, you know, at the end of that thing, you're ready to watch 10 hours, you know? And that's really, you know, frankly, that's where we want to go because if, you're, if, you're, if that's for the network, you want the network to need it and then also the audience to go on that ride. Um, and business-wise now, if, if you're a show is a binging show, you actually need that to pull them through because you're being judged on those metrics. So it's, it's really, uh, you, you, you nailed it. I mean, I think, uh, and screenwriting is, is, a, is a good place where that, you know, books like save the cat or like, you know, all those screenwriting classes are important too, because they really, I mean, those guys are like, it's formulaic. It's like on page 90 on page 15, you know, it's really, really uh, dialed in. I mean, you guys must get pitched a lot of, stories a lot of you know potential shows uh my guess is you have to say you're saying no most of the time i mean you're only going to get to make so many things um how do you get to a yes like do you know like do you even take the meeting unless you're really interested or uh, do you know within the first like you know, two minutes of the meeting and then you have to sort of be nice, even though yeah, you've decided yeah, it's not yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we're sort of, I mean, look, we, we're aspiring to get to where you are, where everything is homegrown, frankly, uh, <laughs> because the deal making is tough and, um, and we're running, you know, we're running production now. Right. So to your point, like generally, you know, we started working with, you know, just amazing partners. Um, and we, you know, look, we love our partners and we would still work with them. Um, but we worked with the best, well, who we thought were the best in class, right? 
the elves, Boardwalk, a bunch of great production companies that were doing incredible work. And now we're bringing that in house and we're making the shows ourselves um, with amazing talent. And, um, and that's the game changer for us, right? It's, it's the difference maker where um, we, it allows us to maybe partner more than we were being able to if we're making the show. But, 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 um, but yeah, mostly it's a no. And if you meet with us, that's a really good sign because yeah, I would rather not meet, meet, you know, take those pitches if there was no shot. It, it means that it's definitely a territory where we've been thinking about or excited about, but, but yeah, it's, it's harder than ever to, to really, um, to take things that are, because we have, to your point, we have so many things on our slate that we're passionate about that are homegrown. It's really hard to beat that. Yeah. And um, one of the things I always say, because I'm sure you're the same, uh, once you're in this business, everybody has a friend or a brother or somebody who has an idea. And I always say, okay, um, I'm, I'm open to potentially listening to it, but like, do you have access to a world that I haven't seen or, you know, that you actually have signed access, you have approval to take us into that world? Or do you have talent? You know, it's this incredible family and you've already signed them and you have some interviews to show me. But what I don't need is someone just coming in and saying, I have this idea for a show, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that that quite honestly, we've probably already tossed around that idea and a thousand ones like it um, in our own development room. So it really helps when someone has um, some IP attached to their idea. No, for sure. What is your, what's a good example of something that you did take out that you were like, there's no chance and uh, maybe, maybe it worked or, or the other way around. I'd probably better to say that is, is there, is there ever, was there ever a time when you were, you really felt really strongly about something and just were surprised that the market didn't, didn't see what you saw? Yeah. I mean, and I, I've had both um, born this way was a show that um you know, we got to do the pilot. Um, we made a pilot essentially of it and then the network didn't pick it up. And then we tried to sell it everywhere else. And then five years later, the network came back and said, hey, you know, we think we made a mistake. We should have done that show. How would you do it today? And so I had been thinking about it all this time. And so we actually came up with a much better take on how to do the show than that original sort of uh, swing at the bat. Um, yeah. And then I've had other shows. I had a show called Starting Over, which was uh, uh, sort of a, um, a show about um, it was six women in a house and they had two life coaches who worked with them. One was Yvonne LeVincent. And um, uh, and we tried to sell that and couldn't sell it. But then two years later, my agent said to me, hey, there's an opportunity at NBC in their, in their syndication because some show they were developing fell through. And, you know, if we can do the deal this week, I think, you know, it'll go to NAPTI and you'll get it on the air and, you know, on their stations and a whole bunch of other ones. And, you know, it just all fell together. And, you know, we had three years of that show on the air and it was 150 episodes, you know, hours a year, which allowed us to really build out our whole post facility. So, wow. yeah, it's some of its timing, the right timing and the right network, you know, so critical. Development never dies. It doesn't, doesn't. I have a drawer full of things. I'll be happy yeah. <laughs> to have a sale after this. Somebody's listening, John. Somebody's listening. <laughs> 
Somebody's uh, listening. <laughs> um, have you had um, have you had a pitch where you've pitched something and um, it didn't go well? People didn't like it. I had one I pitched to Lifetime many years ago, something called the Tragedy Tour. <laughs> and um, I thought it was a great idea. Basically, the idea is we've all had tragedy in our life. And we were going to get this comedian, Julia Sweeney, and she had had tragedy in her own life. And the way she had worked it out was through her comedy. So she was going to go around the country and sort of pick up these different people and bring them ultimately all on a road trip to Vegas. And they had all had tragedy and she was gonna teach them how to do basically a monologue, a comedy monologue based on their personal tragedy. And it would oh, be wow. a healing process. Well, the Lifetime executives started backing up their chairs from me. I mean, they wanted to get out of that room. I mean, they were horrified by the insensitivity of this idea. <laughs> by the way, that's still available if anybody wants it. <laughs> We, uh, yeah, you're available in the chats. Please chime in if you want John's pitch. He'll come by and do it. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, we, we definitely had, I, I don't want to speak to things that didn't go because to your point, they're still alive. So I don't want to say that anything has got, but like, but yeah, there's definitely been things to your point. I, I think your born this way comment is so interesting because we have, we have a couple of those that are, you know, my team will probably hate me, but like, they're just things that I've just, you know, I'm like a dog with a bone. I'm like, this is right. We'll, they'll see, you know, um, and, uh, you know, some of it is like, you know, as close to true crime as we'll get, you know, but in the music space. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, we take out a lot of pitches that don't sell even, Le even uh, LeBron James's company, I promise you. Um, we, <laughs> we have a bunch, and our, you know, and, um, and the talent attached to it probably, you know, is they, they feel like if they do a development deal with us, it's like, oh, this is a sure thing. And it's like, nah, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but it's not, it's not a sure thing. Um, yeah, I went, out, I went out a show and pitched a show with Charlize Theron. Like I was walking into a room with a movie star. I mean, when we arrived at, you know, at NBC, at Rockefeller, right. I mean, the crowds parted. I mean, it was so cool. <laughs> Never have so many executives wanted to come to a pitch meeting. Um, <laughs> anyway, but we, we did sell the show. Unfortunately, it didn't go to series. I, I, I guess a movie star can only get you so far. Um, <laughs> just a bigger, and, just a bigger room and a bigger audience. And I want to ask, how do you handle the pressure? Because um, there's a lot of pressure, and um, you know, there's always going to be production um, problems. There's always going to be talent issues. Um, how do you personally handle the pressure? Do you share it with your wife? Do you bottle it up? Do you, how do you handle it? Well, that's a great one. Um, you know, it varies. I mean, like, I think I am, uh, I'm an, I internalize things a lot, you know? So I don't, I would not, I don't like to bring that home. I don't like to bring it to my, you know, home life because my, my wife is not in the business. My kids don't care. It's not like, it's like, you know, what do you, who cares, you know? And so, um, I, I internalize it, but like, luckily, you know, I have a team of people that are really, really, you know, they care as much as I do. So when the weekend call happens and the, you know, the talent's not cooperating and the things aren't happening and we're missing a day or not making our day or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'm able to jump into that thing. I, I I haven't really found, if I'm being really honest, I haven't found the balance 
that I probably need. I think the pandemic has really helped me because, you know, as much as you think you're balanced, you realize like I wasn't fucking balanced. Like now I'm home every night with my family, you know, before I would be, you know, trying to find the next thing or at dinner or a drink with a, a network exec or, you know, trying to, you know, pitch this or talk to that or connect with talent. Um, and so, um, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what, what that thing is. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to do work. I'm trying to work out, trying to use that as an, as an escape. Hatch. Good. Uh, it's not working out. I got to tell you, but, uh, but I did, you know, for my birthday, my wife did give me, you know, some training classes a trainer. So I was, I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know how to take this. It's good, but it's also a sign. Maybe she wants me to lose a couple of pounds. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do think, um, and it's great if you could do that training class and, uh, not bring your phone into it because you know there was there was a time before phones when people could actually wait for an hour for an answer right you know yeah. it's shocking so i do think some of it is you have to control it yourself like a few years ago i put on you know training twice a week at five o'clock and i just put it on my schedule so don't book anything there for me because that's my like that's my me time and i'm i'm really going to be unhappy if it gets if someone crashes my party um the other thing is my dad gave me a great piece of advice uh he said you know all you can do is the best you can do and as long as you do your best and you're straight up with people you shouldn't have any trouble sleeping and so I've sort of always taken that and that's helped me um, get through. Yeah. You know, the other, the other thing I'm trying to get better at is I'm trying to get better at having the difficult conversation first, as opposed to having a bunch of, because when you don't have the difficult conversation first, you have a million other conversations that lead, you know, that are like, you know, uh, that just drag it on and kind of just prolong the inevitable. So I'm really trying to get good at that. And, and, you know, just as, as with people, with talent, with everything. So it's, yeah, that's your, but your dad's advice is the best advice, you know, like, cause you just need to go, you got to be able to go to sleep and at peace. Yeah. And then the other thing is, and I'm sure you do it too at Spring Hill is you create an environment where people feel safe and yeah. where they don't get screamed at. They don't get yelled at. Um, we're all in this together. Not a, it's, it's the business of television. Things will always fly up there'll always be crises things we have to deal with and we're going to manage them together and we're going to all work on it together and you know because i i do think there you know there still is too much fear in this business at at, at some companies at some networks and i i think we all you know after what we've been through the last year we just you have to say that's we can't have that yeah, I mean, well, clear, clearly the time's up on that stuff, and I think we're all seeing that. And I want to applaud you for some of the stuff you're doing in that space because that is one of the places as we as we see built our company, we're really excited about um, just changing the below the line in reality, right? And and and, and um, we just hadn't seen it. And frankly, the lists aren't big enough when you're trying to to hire folks and all the things. And I think. You know, you're doing a really good job, I think, with your program. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I think there's a lot of people listening that may not know about the work or may want to help with the work. And, and Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it was pretty clear to me, you know, um, that we just weren't seeing enough young people of color coming into our business. And, you know, we would go recruit at um, the, um, the historically black colleges. And most of those folks were, no, my parent wants me to be a lawyer or an accountant. <laughs> 
They don't want me doing freelance in Hollywood. Um, and then we started looking at our interns, and a lot of them were from private schools, and they were middle-class white kids, probably grew up in upstate New York and went to, went to Syracuse or Ithaca. Um, and um, so we, and you know, and for a long time, the internships were unpaid. So that was a big thing like, oh, you got to have money to get into this business. Um, so working with the TV Academy um, Foundation, we've uh, a group of uh, uh, unscripted um, producers, including Chris Abrego and Stephanie and Rasha Drachman, Jim Berger, Sally Ann Salsano. We've come up, we've, we've created an endowment and we are mining the talent in television's own backyard here in Southern California. We're, we're bringing in the kids who go to the state schools and we're getting the brightest, most talented kids, and we're bringing them into our companies. And you know, the TV Academy uses this endowment to pay for the internships, plus they provide mentoring and support, and they create this sort of, this universe where these people are plugged in and they now have mentors and contacts, and it gives them that chance uh, to succeed. So um, yeah, it, part of it's a pipeline issue, and so um, so that's one way we're we're hoping to deal with it. Um, and certainly, you know, when we do shows, we always try to remind our, our our team that you know it's not just about hiring your friends. You've got to look beyond your group of friends. You've got to really find all kinds of people because the people, the shows we're making, the, the talent on them is 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 multiracial, is diverse. It does come from all different kinds of backgrounds. And when they look back at our cameras, they need to see that when they're, when we're taping. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me publicly say that I'll raise my hand. Whatever we can be doing uh, as a company to get involved with that or use those interns, I'd love to, 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 to be involved in that. And, and right. it's 100 percent on mission with what we're doing. And um, and I think you're totally right. I mean, more than ever, that's that's super important, especially when you talk about the, you know, the, the characters on screen, you know, seeing the cameras and seeing folks that look like them. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're gonna, you're a young company, but there are going to be lots of people who get their start at Spring Hill and then will go out into the world and start their own company. So, you know, um, you're, you're helping to create the future leaders, um, which is important. No pressure, John. No pressure. You've, I mean, look, I mean, we, we should talk about some of your alumni. I mean, they're just, they're all over the town. And, and, and oh, how does that, how does that make you feel? Like, are it, you, it yeah. makes me feel good. And part of it's because we've been around longer than anyone else. So, you know, Clay Newbill, who does Shark Tank, you know, was the coordinating producer on the second real world and uh, was the, a producer on most of the early road rules seasons. Matt Kunitz was my assistant and he produces Wipeout. Um, yeah, there were, a, there were a lot of great people who have come through, um, through and, and learned the business with us. You know, we've all taught each other and it's, it's great. You know, now maybe if I wasn't doing very well, I, I'd be concerned, <laughs> but since I've done okay, I'm, I, can, I can be happy about their success. I can even be happy about your success. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're the best. I mean, and thank you for spending this time with, with me. Um, I got my public lunch with you and I, and, you know, <laughs> just me and 400 friends. All good. Um, yeah, well, I got my lunch with you too. Um, yeah, I think we're supposed to wind it up. This has gone super fast and it's been, uh, it's yeah. been really fun. Two upstate no. New York kids. 
imagine. Who would have thought? Yeah, no. Thank you so much for your time, John. Big fan of all your work. And then, like, hopefully we'll work together soon. Um, there you go. Although, all, although you heard it here first, guys, all his ideas come internal. <laughs> not all of them. Not, not all of them. I don't want to close every door. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John Murray and Jamal Henderson. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you as well to our guests, John Murray and Jamal Henderson. To my wonderful family for all their love and support, and to you, the listeners. Please come back again next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind.